Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Our theme is reigning in life. Everybody say reigning in life. How many believe we should reign in life? How many of you know you're called to reign in life? How many of you know it's an imperative to reign in life? We are the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. God has ordained, God has called and knit and joined you to a brand new race of humans. You are no longer Guatemalan. Luis, are you in the building? You are no longer, you know Joel was born in Guatemala? So Joel and Luis have something in common. You are no longer Mexican. You are no longer African. You are no longer Swedish. You're half Swedish too, aren't you? And half German. Half German. Something like that. You are Christian. You have come out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every kindred, out of every racial group, out of every ethnic origin, and you've been brought into a brand new species of human, made after the manner of Jesus. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean we don't love uh, some of our traditions and our history, and it uh, doesn't mean we don't love the color of our skin and our mom and dad, and it doesn't mean we don't love all of it. It just means that, that, that we've got a brand new lineage that is superimposed upon our natural lineage that's of a higher lineage, that's of a higher inheritance and a higher grace and a higher promise. Isn't that fun? I'm so glad that I'm not just limited to uh, mom and dad and to my natural history. Second Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man is in Christ, the last Adam... If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. Amen? And 2 Corinthians 16 says, Henceforth, we don't even know each other after the manner of the flesh. We don't evaluate. We don't judge. We don't look at each other after the manner of our history or our lineage. If a person is in Christ, we see one another in that manner. Ah, that was a great time for a shout right there. I don't know what happened. I'm just, I was waiting. I was waiting. Maybe, I thought maybe it was going to be a delayed shout. I didn't know. I was like, I was just waiting for the bomb to drop or something like that. I just didn't know. And then, and then those of you that felt the urgency to shout, so much time lingered that you, that you lost the courage to shout. But it's so, it's so cool that we can honor our natural lineage but not be limited to it. I can honor my mom and dad. I can honor the parents of their parents, but, not, but, but, but recognize that my lineage now is far superior and goes far higher than that lineage out of the natural realm because I'm connected to Christ, and Christ is ruling and reigning. Did you know He's winning? Did you know He's overcoming? Did you know something like 20,000 people an hour come to the Lord? across the world. Did you know Christianity is still the fastest growing religion in the world? Did, did, did you know that? Did you know that, that the gospel is, in Matthew thirteen thirty one and following, he says that the gospel will leaven the whole world. It's like leaven that was stuffed into bread, stuffed into dough and that it's going to leaven the whole world. And then he says it's like the mustard seed. It was a small thing when it was planted, but when it grows up, it becomes this giant tree, and all the birds, all the birds, the sparrows, the bluebirds, the crows, which one are you? The eagles, the turkeys, Hard to fly with eagles when you're hanging out with turkeys. Uh, all of the birds are going to find their home in this tree of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen? Wow. And the early birds will get the worm. No, that does not fit into the sermon whatsoever. But nonetheless... So we, we're connected to 
we're connected to we're connected to somebody who's not wringing his hands over the current situation. Jesus, the exalted man, at the right hand of the Father, representing us in his divinity and in his manhood, representing us in his sacrifice, interceding for us. In other words, he's our go-between. He's the one that, that, that every single prayer comes through him. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus, because every single prayer that you pray comes through him because he ever lives to represent you before the Father. Did you know he's not worried about the state of affairs anywhere in the whole globe? That he is ruling and reigning. That of the increase of the government of his peace, there shall be no end. Handel wrote it. We sang it for Christmas. But it came out of Isaiah chapter 9. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And he shall... No, I was just about to butcher that. He shall reign forever and ever. He shall reign forever and ever. And who are you in? Who are you wrapped up in, tied up in? Who are you woven in? Who are you found in? Who are you secure in? Who are you saved in? Who are you blood-bought in, redeemed in, restored in? Who, you are in him. You are in him. This is, so, this is so massively powerful that it's changed your entire nature. You can't even sin and enjoy it anymore. This has changed your entire nature. You can't even be sick and like it. You can't even be depressed and settle for it. You can't even be, you can't even be content with mediocrity anymore. You can't even be poor and just agree with it anymore. This has changed your entire nature. He, the witness of His regeneration, lives on the inside of you. And though you're not resurrected from the dead and you've not received your new creation body yet, the testimony that you have it dwells within you. The testimony is the down payment of the Holy Spirit. The down payment of His witness in you tells you that you are victorious. It's even the witness of His Spirit in you that creates an ambition to do something greater. Turn off the TV and do something greater. That was the Holy Spirit right there. Turn off the Xbox and do something greater. That was the Holy Spirit right there. Move away from the screen of the computer and do something greater. That was the Holy Spirit right there. I'm only talking about when we're wasting time. I'm not talking about when we're redeeming time, but when we're wasting time. That's the unction of the Spirit. Why? Because you are called to rule and reign with Him. He is up to ruling and reigning, and you are one with Him. That's why every time we get off of that course, He starts bugging us. The witness of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us starts talking to us because we have begun to veer off course. We have begun to veer off of the ruling and reigning mindset, life path. Amen? You believe it? Romans chapter 5, 17. For if by the transgression of the one, Adam, death reigned through that one, Adam, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. If you were knit to a loser, I could understand losing. If you were knit to sickness, I could understand you agreeing with it. If you were knit to the, to the king of poverty, I could understand you being poor. But you are knit to Jesus Christ, the supreme victor. And his victory did not begin 
after the rapture. Nor will yours. His victory did not begin when you get to heaven. Nor will yours. His victory began when he defeated Satan and gave you his authority. Authority that you can use with his name. When he defeated the curse as symbolized by the crown of thorns. When he defeated sickness as symbolized by 39 stripes on his back. When he defeated those things on your behalf and took the weight of the penalty that we deserved. That's when victory began for you. So it actually began before you started, before you got here. You are, when you got here, you, you moved into victory. You stepped into a place where he had already carved out victory. All you had to do was sign the back of the check and cash it in. Can you say amen? I want to talk to you about one of the reigning in life principles, characteristics of Father, of Jesus, that we've mentioned before, and I want to mention it again today because it, it bears witness. The Holy Spirit's been already talking about this, by the way, from the moment of pre-service prayer to this moment. So uh, it's cool. I know I'm supposed to talk about this. Isn't that fun? And I want to talk about the power of blessing. The power of blessing. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent or gave his only begotten son. But John 3.17 says, For he did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Condemnation's already working. Condemnation's alive. It doesn't even need your help. You don't need to be the spirit of condemnation because it's already working powerfully without you. It doesn't need your partnership. It doesn't need your agreement. It doesn't. You are partnered with Jesus, and He did not come to condemn the world, but He came that the world through Him might be sozoed, might be saved might be delivered out of bondage, delivered out of hopelessness, delivered out of condemnation, delivered into promise, delivered into potential, delivered into breakthrough, delivered into goodness. He came to deliver people out and bring them in. You're knit to that. This is part of the ruling and reigning life. This is part of you tapping into the manifestation of the abundance of grace that is on you now. Is that He is replicating His character through us that the influence of Jesus would continue to grow. How many of you know God wants the influence of His Son to continue to grow? Did you know when you reign in life, He reigns in life? If you are one with him, how could it be that he could reign in life without you? And if you are one with him, how could it be that you could reign in life without him receiving glory? The two of you are knit together. When you reign in life, when your influence increases, his influence increases. How do we see his influence increase? By living like he lived. By living like he lived. We are empowered and graced to live just as he lived. Isn't that cool? You ever had one of those uh, pay-for-the-dinner wars? Pay-for-the-dinner-first wars? I'm talking about living to be a blessing. You ever purposed to be a blessing to somebody? Have you ever fiend to have one of those wars, like faked it? I did that with my uncle once, and the kids still tease me to this day. We, don't, we went out for dinner. We went out for dinner. And just about the time it was check time, uh, I kind of pull, slowly pulled out my wallet and pulled out my credit card, and I kind of like, um, do, you, do you want me to get the, do you want me to, and you have to say it real slow, do you want me to get the, you want me to get the, ta- uh, the ta- and you have to pull out your credit card super slow, super slow. You're kind of pulling it out. You're kind of struggling. You're actually struggling to pull it out. It's almost like the plastic is like stuck inside the wallet, and your fingers kind of have to shake a little bit 
as you're pulling it out. And you're kind of, you're kind of acting, you know, kind of coy, kind of shy, a little bashful, as you pull it out. And you're like, do you, do you want, do you want, do you, and, and there's, there has to be kind of a premeditated hesitation. And then he, being of a higher level of wealth than you, he sees you struggling. And then he quickly pulls his out. And he throws it on the little tray. And he's like, let me get it. And you're like, oh, are, are you sure? <laughs> like, really? I mean, I had it covered. I mean, really? It's like, are you sure? It's on you? I, I mean, I, you know, I, mean, I, wanted, to, I, wanted, I wanted to be a blessing. And, no, no, let me cover it. Okay, praise God. I mean, excuse me. I mean, oh, oh all right. Whew. Thank you, Lord, for a sticky credit card. You know what I'm talking about? How cool is it when you premeditate a blessing? Not fiend the credit card trick, but when you actually, you know, beat somebody to the punch. How cool is that? I know every one of you have done that. You've bought somebody something. I, I went through McDonald's. Shall I say this? I was getting something healthy, all right? Anyway, in Puyallup, they have a double line now in McDonald's. Double line, double line. Like, what's up with the double line? Somebody always wants to cut me off. I'm just gracious. Somebody pulls up. I ordered before them, right? And a little older couple. Might have been super hungry. Might have been a low glucose morning for him or something. Just wanted one breakfast burrito. That was it, right? They pull up. I order before them. You know, they give me, and they gave me a dirty look. Like, if you pull in front of me, we're going to run you off the, the drive-through road. So I'm like, I just gave him a big peaceful smile, a big like, Jesus loves you smile, right? God bless your burrito. This is, I'm serious. Serious as can be. I mean, they gave me a nasty look. I mean, it was like melted my window. I pull up to pay for my burrito. The car in front of you paid for your breakfast. I'm serious. It's just recently. This happened last week. I'm like, no way. Those nasty people must have received the testimony of Jesus. Those were church people, and the Holy Ghost convicted them. But they were a blessing. In Genesis 14, 18, Genesis 14, 18, Abram, who becomes Abraham, we know that, Abram goes out and he defeats these kings who ran away with Lot and all of Lot's stuff. He's defending Lot because he's in covenant with Lot. He's family with Lot, so he's defending Lot. So he goes out and he defeats these kings, uh, these, and he's got 318 warriors that are a part of his family. It says when he came back, he returned the goods to the kings, and this guy named Melchizedek comes out and greets him. It says, Melchizedek is the king of Salem. He's the king of righteousness. He's the priest of God Most High. Now, Melchizedek shows up again in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7. But it says that Melchizedek, that they had a covenant meal. And Abraham had risked everything to go after these kings and to defeat them. But God was with him. And when he comes back, they have this covenant meal, and he blesses Abraham in this covenant. There's actually a declaration of blessing over him. He says, blessed be Abram. So he declares this blessing over him, and it's a release of empowerment from God because we learn later that Melchizedek is like an epiphany of Jesus. And so... We go over to Hebrews chapter 7, and in Hebrews 7, it's talking about the new covenant that we have through Jesus, and it 
shows us that this Melchizedek that showed up to Abram to bless Abram was actually a foreshadowing of the Christ. And it says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 7, it says something, a principle that's very powerful that I wanted you to get. I just want you to get this principle. Not so much the story, but I want you to get the principle. It says that the lesser is always blessed by the greater. The lesser is always blessed by the greater. Now, it's trying to tell us out of Hebrews 7, out of Genesis 14, that Melchizedek had a superiority to Abram. But what I want you to get is that this is the way all of life is for us who are in Christ Jesus. That we, we have to see that we are interconnected. We have become one with the supreme one, the supreme leader, provider, the victorious one. We've become one with him. So it is actually natural for you to bless because the lesser is always blessed by the greater. And in every situation, in every relationship, in every community, in every family, the believers are the greater. They are not the lesser. They are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. Will you believe it? See, what has to happen is there has to be a transformation of heart within us where we begin to see, we begin to agree, we begin to accept. And I'm going to talk about that a lot this morning. That we begin to agree that He has made us significant, of great worth, that He's bestowed His love upon us, that His redemption has brought transformation, that you are now a greater one, not a lesser one. You are a greater one, not a lesser one. So everywhere you go, you carry the blessing of the greater one in you. You carry his blessing. You carry his blessing. The, purpose, the person who purposes to be a blessing will increase in favor with others. In fact, this generosity is a key to influence. It's a key to influence. Generosity of love, generosity of kindness, generosity of mercy, generosity of grace, of patience, of praise, or of affirmation. There's so many scriptures that actually speak of what could be either money, the use of money, or the seeds of your affirmation and your blessing. Parallel scriptures. Parallel scriptures. And sometimes we read these and we see them in the light of money. We see them in the light of wealth or in the light of giving or generosity. But the generosity of your tongue is just as important. fact is, I would say the generosity of your tongue will probably precede the generosity of your wallet. Because the treasure within you is the source. And when the treasure within you, when you accept the building up of Jesus, the building up of the Word, the building up of unity with Him in your heart, in your treasure, then it begins to spill out of your mouth first, even before it spills out of your wallet. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous man... The generous soul will be made fat, and he who waters will himself be watered. And that's crazy. That tells us that generosity of speech, as well as money, as well as finance. But I want us to focus this morning not on money. I want us to take principles that, that declare principles that unfold or bring light to the use of money or seeds, and I want us to see them in the realm of your words today. In the realm of your words today. Because your words are the most powerful part of your entire life. Your words. 
Your words are a key to the influence. Your words are a key to the influence of Jesus. Do we preach sermons when people come or do we say, neither do I condemn thee? Your words, your words, my words, our words are a key to the influence of Jesus that he might reign, that he might rule and reign. Do we have a generosity of tongue? The generous soul will be made fat. See, God really is in a good mood toward people. And every single person has a prophetic destiny in, in Him. And while we were yet sinners, God gave His love for us. could be our greatest challenge is to find something to bless in people. Find the love of God for people. Affirm the love of God. A reconciler is what we're called to be, and a reconciler is one who tries to win over the animosity of another person through peacemaking efforts. And we know that every single person in their soul is needy. Every person around you is needy of worth, of dignity, of honor, of value, of love. You won't run into one person that isn't thirsty, hungry of soul, needy of approval, needy of acceptance. Every single person is needy of such a thing. And so Paul tells us in, first, in, in Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome words come out of your mouth. But only the words that edify. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is, is good for edification according to the need of the moment. Did you know when somebody's vulnerable, that means there would be a need? Right? When somebody's vulnerable, it is a great time to throw in a jab or two. When somebody's vulnerable, suddenly we have an open door for that criticism we wanted to share. When somebody's vulnerable, when there is a need, suddenly we have an opportunity to throw in that thing we've been thinking about. And this will really have some weight now. Oh, boy. They'll really hear it now. But he says, no, 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 no. When somebody's in need, speak words that edify them. Bring words that build them up. To edify, it comes from the word to build up. It comes from the word edifice. And edifice is like a building. So in the Greek, it's, it, it means that when someone is in need... Now, the typical way that we operate is when somebody's not in need. That's when we want to build them up. And certainly praise or affirmation, kindness is fitting, but it's also extremely easy when someone's not in need, when everything is going really well. He's saying when things aren't going well, when you observe that things aren't going well, instead of having negative speech, profane speech, derogatory speech, tear down the building speech, have build up the building speech. Isn't that cool? Come on, just... Uh Elbow somebody right beside you and ask them if they're listening right now. Because you don't need to hear it, but they do. They need this message really, really bad. I really think that, that this is one of the keys that set King David apart. 
the, abil- the ability to build people up instead of tear them down. There was something about David that was attractive and something about J- David that was, that was Jesus-like. He had a heart after God, and God's heart, you know what the throne is called? It's called the throne of mercy, the mercy seat. Did you know as much as God is love, mercy, I mean, as much as God is judgment mercy or justice, mercy triumphs over justice. So as much as we know his nature is justice, we know his nature is, is just, we know his nature is judgment, Aren't you glad? I'm kind of glad. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And, and his throne is called the mercy seat. And, and Jesus is, he is the person of grace. The person. So I think David was a, a bit like him. We know that, that Jesus is called the son of David. There was something special about David. And when David first is called and, and Saul is jealous because he has such a winsome appeal with people and people love him and they're writing songs about him and they're singing about him and Saul becomes jealous and David goes and he hides out in the cave of Adullam. It says that 400... This is in 1 Samuel chapter 22. David departed. He was going to hide from Saul because he would not bring harm to Saul even though Saul was trying to kill him. That's something about somebody's tongue right there. He knows he's anointed of God. He knows God has called him for something great. Now he's being pursued by the king Saul is seeking to take his life, and instead of taking Saul's life, or instead of fighting back, he zips the lip. Wow. And waits for God to accomplish his purposes as God would do. Isn't that interesting? speaks a lot of the nature of Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and 21, it says that though he was threatened, he didn't threaten back. Though he was mocked, he didn't mock back. Though he was reviled, he didn't revile back. Though he was cursed at, he didn't curse back. But he kept trusting him who judges righteously. He kept trusting his Father to be his deliverer instead of using his mouth for that which was profane or that which was cursing or that which, which was caustic. That which was evil, he used his mouth to bless. Even in the midst of the cross, his final prayer is, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Wow. That's our, that's our life. That's what we're called to. That's you. That's me. We're called to that kind of life. And I think, I think David was like that. He's out hiding in these caves and he's out running from Saul for seven years. He's put on the back burner. The word adula means to be put on the hold, to be put on the back burner. To, to dangle is what the word means. He's called of God for something great, but he's dangling out here for seven years. And during that period of time, it says, all of those who were in debt and discontent, the downhearted, the discouraged, chapter 22 of verse, and verse 1, everyone who was in distress, in debt and discontent, gathered to David. What do you think? Because I think that he manifested love. He manifested love. And he raised up an army to be the greatest army Israel ever saw. 
That's 1 Samuel 22. When we get to 2 Samuel 23, it tells us about the 30 mighty men. And it tells us about, but there were actually 300,000 warriors raised up for David in Israel. We're told of the 30. We're told of the 30 mighty men. One who slew 800. One who took a lion in a snowy pit. Why? Because there was something courageous, something powerful, something demonstrative, something transforming about being around someone who was seeking for the treasure in them instead of the junk. Somebody who was lifting them up instead of putting them down. Somebody who was an edifice builder. They came in need, but there wasn't a focus on the need. There was a focus on building them up. Let every word that proceeds out of our mouth be that which builds up. Purpose to bless. Purpose. Purpose to bless. And watch what happens. It raises the influence of the Lord and of your own life to the very forefront. Appreciation is one of the, uh, one of the ways that we bless. Appreciation. Well, I'm almost out of time. Flattery is shallow, selfish, and insincere, but appreciation comes from the heart. And you know whose heart it really comes from? Appreciation comes from the heart of God in you. When we talk about putting the old nature to death, we talk about the cross and water baptism and the power of, of the new creation. We're tapping into the love of Father for others that's in us. Will we pause? Will we wait? Will we listen? Will we quench our speech just for a moment or two to hear the voice of Him who loves on the inside of us? Because He's in crazy, he, He's in crazy love. So in all of our relationships, we've got to remember people are hungry for affirmation, hungry for appreciation. The first million-dollar man, Dale Carnegie writes about him, one of the first in American history to be paid a million dollars a year when people were earning $50 a week was Charles Schwab. He was picked by Andrew Carnegie to become the new president of U.S. Steel in 1921 at only 38 years old. Why did Andrew Carnegie pay over $3,000 a day to Charles Schwab? Because he was a genius? No. Because he knew about steel? Not really. Because he was a great engineer? No, not really. He had one year of engineering in high school. Here's what he said. He said, I consider my ability to arouse enthusiasm in my people and my staff the greatest asset that I possess. And the way to develop the best that is in in a person is by appreciation and encouragement. There is nothing that so kills ambition than criticism from superiors. So I am anxious to praise people, but I loathe to find fault. And if I like anything about a person, I lavish them in my praise. He goes on. This is Charles Schwab, the first man to be paid a million dollars a year, 1921. In my wide associations in life, meeting with many people and in various parts of the world, I have yet to find the person, however great or exalted in his station, who did not do better work and put forth greater effort under a spirit of approval than he would ever do under a spirit of criticism. Isn't that crazy? Here's a funny story that was published. A farm woman at the end of a heavy day's work set before the farmhands a heaping pile of hay for dinner. 
When they indignantly demanded whether she had gone crazy or not, she replied, well, I had no idea you'd even notice. I've been cooking for you men for the last 20 years, and in all that time, I haven't ever heard a word to let me know that you weren't just eating hay. Listen to some scriptures, Proverbs 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. Proverbs 21.23. He who keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from trouble. Proverbs 25.15. A soft tongue can break the bone. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath or anger. Proverbs 25.11, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken aptly or in right circumstances. It's the ability to build up. You have that ability dwelling in you. Will you listen to it? Will you pause long enough to let the Spirit of God... See, sometimes we have a reflex, and the reflex... You ever been to the doctor and he sets you up on the table? Hits your knee trying to get that reflex? Trying to get your knee to pop up? Sometimes our reflex is out of the carnal nature. Sometimes it's not what it ought to be. And if you'll just pause a moment, you'll have a response that's so much more powerful than the reflex. We have to listen to the love and the testimony of love on the inside of us. I know I need to close, but I want to just take a moment. Will you bear with me? One more moment. I want to talk about the economy of words. The economy of words. See, think about this. Your storehouse for giving finances is your personal reserves. If you have, if you have excess, if you have personal reserves, if you have money in the bank, you have in your own mind the ability to give. And you give out of that storehouse that's been saved up, that storehouse that's come wherein you have excess. Even if you make a choice to go without something, you're making a choice so that you can give. You're making a choice to go without something to use that excess that you don't need for your own needs or you could divert it because enough of your needs are met that you've got enough of a reserve or a storehouse that you could give. And so financially, financially there has to be more than enough coming in for you to have seed to sow. Yes? Or the go with the going out, going without of something that you would consider a non-essential. You can live without this so that you can sow this seed. So let's talk about the economy of words. Let's shift that. Let's shift that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the man speaks. Out of the good treasure of the heart, Matthew 12, 33 through 35, out of the good treasure within you, you bring forth good things. So thinking about the economy of words, here's what I want you to see. Is it you, and we sang about it this morning, but this is so important. Is it is that we only have an excess of love to give if we have received a storehouse of love. If you're low on affirmation and low on praise, you're high on judgment and high on criticism, it means your heart bank is low. That you yourself have not received enough of the seeds or the treasures of God's love that there is spilling out an overflow that you can invest that overflow in others. This is why it's so important that we become receivers of His love. 
that we become receivers of his mercy, that we even show ourselves mercy, that we even, that we, and, and, and something I've been hammering on all of us about is rather than praying, God, help me, God, help me, we begin to say, God, I receive. I receive your love. I receive worth. I receive value. I receive identity. I receive significance. I receive worth. I receive your esteem of me. Come on, band members, would you come as we prepare to close this morning? If your bank is never overflowing, if you don't have more than enough for you coming in, then you don't have seed to give. You're not even looking for affirming opportunities because you yourself are thinking about yourself. If you're low on money, you're not looking for giving opportunities. You're hoping you don't see them. You're hoping they don't bring them up. You're hoping you can scoot right on by because you are low on money right now. You really don't have an excess to tap into. Likewise, if you're low on love, see affirmation and praise and blessing, it flows out of an overflow of God's love in you. So if you're low on affirmation, and love from God. If you're still questioning you, you're not sure about you, you're wondering about you, you're not really sure, is He for you? Then you don't have an overflow. So you become blind to the opportunities of affirmation around you. And what spills out of the fountain of your mouth is the only thing that you have a treasure of right now. Judgment, criticism, fault-finding. Stand with me. Father is replicating the nature of love on the inside of you. And first, He's winning your heart. Would you put up your hands in just kind of the receiving mode this morning and allow Him to win your heart? Allow Him to win your heart. He is in such a good mood concerning you. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Just begin all across the room. If you're willing, just begin to say, I receive the fullness of your love. You see, His perfect love, when we receive it, dismisses fear. When we receive His perfect love, and that means all that His love brings, He's not come to condemn, but He's come that we might have life. He's come that we might have life. His love brings something with it. His love brings promise. His love brings purpose. His love brings significance. His love brings worth and value. And He wants you to reign in life. But reigning, reigning spills out in blessing. And blessing spills out because of love. It's the harvest on the crop of the seed that He's sown within you, that He loves you, that He loves you, that He loves you, that He loves you. He loves you in your mess. He loves you in your trouble. He loves you in your difficulty. He loves you when you fail. He loves you when you mess up. He loves you in your body type. He loves you in your body color. He loves those giant earlobes that flop when you walk. He loves you. He loves you. He loves those pock marks on your cheeks because you had too many pimples when you were young. He loves that crazy hairdo that you've got. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves the way you approach problems. He, he loves that ambition within you. He loves you.
He loves you in this generation. He chose you for this generation. He loves you in love. He chose you for this generation. In love, He chose you for this generation. He didn't choose another. He chose you for this generation. Because He wanted the love that would spill out of you to spill into this generation. He loves fulfilling your heart and He loves to see your heart fulfilled in this generation. He loves the influence that comes to Jesus. When you love, when you love, when you love, When you love, when you bless, when you affirm, when you praise, when you lavish kindness, when you you are gracious, the word grace, charisma, charis, when you are gifting others with what they don't deserve, He loves that. this morning as we close. Sing it together. God bless you, church.